Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. If you want your teammates to achieve their full potential, they have to feel safe. Safe to speak, safe to disagree, and safe to be flat-out wrong. In this episode, I talk with Lisa Crispin, one of the most influential testing professionals in the industry. Lisa tells us how to transform your workplace into a safe place by building trust within your team. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Our guest today is Lisa Crispin. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you, Richard, for inviting me on your podcast. I'm really honored. My pleasure. I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you, uh, you're you here. I'm so glad I could talk to you. I'm so glad I can, well, I, I get the pleasure of seeing you through video today. We were talking about, uh, we're, we both happen to be in New England at the same time, although in different states. I, I can see a window to your right shoulder and a, yes. a little view of the outside with a with what looks like a to-do doing done list, which was yes, cool. Yes, yes. A little personal Kanban board there. Yeah. <laughs> Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. I've been I've been a hands-on tester on Agile teams for a couple of decades now. So my big focus right now is continuous delivery, DevOps. How does testing fit in with that? How can teams feel confident to deliver frequent changes to production? Because that's that seems scary from a testing perspective. And uh, and so I curate a community site called testingindevops.org. Mm where we just put up a, a bunch of links to great resources like podcasts and webinars and blogs and articles and classes related to testing with DevOps continuous everything and also a bunch of awesome guest blog posts. So we're just trying to help everybody learn because to me, this is the future and testers are needed, especially on the operability and operation side of things. They need us testers to get in there and start asking questions about production and things that are happening in production and looking for unusual patterns and learning where to focus our testing better, learning how our customers are behaving or misbehaving. No, how our application is behaving and misbehaving really. <laughs> and, uh, so that's, that's really what I get to do is I just get to create a lot of content about that, put together webinars and, and classes and things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting opportunity. And I still try to get in as much hands-on testing as I can help on the team. Right. We were talking before we started recording. You found a bug today. Yay. I did. I did. <laughs> I also am starting something new. I've always wanted to give back to the open source community because I've been using open source tools these many years. Mm-hmm. And so I just started contributing to the Cucumber open source project yeah. to their documentation. I had my first pull request merged during the holidays. So I was very excited about that. And, it, and it's, a, it's a really great way to learn new skills too. So I'm learning things about GitHub I didn't know before. I'm learning, I'm, I'm getting back into learning more about using IntelliJ. I hadn't used that in a long time. So I have to be able to run Docker on my laptop so that I can run the site locally. So all kinds of exciting things. And uh, I, I do these things and then try to share them with other people. Cool. And you said that website is testingindevops.org? Testingindevops.org. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll put a link to that in the in the podcast description. Awesome. Um, okay, so this is the podcast about teams, and I mm-hmm. love to ask people about their their life experience, the best team they've ever had in their life. Oftentimes, people sort of default to a work team, but this could be anything, any group mm-hmm. of two or more people that you've been a part of. What's the best team that you've been a member of 
in your entire life. Gosh, when you widen that out outside of work, there are lots and lots of teams. And I've been lucky to work on a lot of really great teams. I, I work on a great team right now. But I have to say from... 2003 to 2012, I had the opportunity to work on a team that for me was was my utopia <laughs> because we made the journey from complete chaos and dysfunction to becoming a truly high-performing agile team doing continuous delivery successfully. And we're mm -hmm. a very small team, but we achieved huge things. So it was a great opportunity. I learned so much and I, and it's a lot of what I've shared in, in the books I've written with Janet and courses and stuff like oh. that. So yeah, that was a wonderful opportunity. And that, that, that was at a company called ePlan Services back in Denver. Right. And um, this team, when you take yourself back to it and, mm -hmm. and sort of re-experience it, re-experience the, the people you were with, the activities you're doing together and, and how it how it felt within your body to, to be with them doing those things. Mm -hmm. Could you summarize how that felt in one word? Yeah, I the one word, I mean, there are many words I could use, but the one word I think is maybe the most important way to describe it is trusting. Everybody on that team felt safe. And uh -huh. we've learned from scientific studies that psychological safety is a prerequisite to to team success and we definitely had that on that team uh, anybody could express any idea or opinion and it could be contrary to what other people had expressed without fear that they would you know be disrespected or made fun of or damaged in some way people might disagree with you but it was not on a personal level it was just yeah. Uh, objectively discussing the ideas and that's pretty rare yeah and 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 so sub subjectively when you go back to this team or, or objectively what are some of the things that went into it that let you know that this was the best team of your life what what, what were the things that you felt subjectively qualitatively what, what are things that people from the outside could have observed well i like i say i think i think the safety aspect of you know we we would have meetings and or just informally be sitting around discussing something together and our brainstorming sessions everybody could feel free to throw out ideas and there was no ah oh, no i disagree with that idea it was just let, let yes and let me add to that idea and anyone could have a an idea and so one one exciting thing for me about this team was the focus on quality and the fact that you, you, we generally had as many testers on the team as developers. And so it was a tiny team. So, you know, usually three testers, three developers, sysadmin or two, a DBA. And often, you know, I can remember a meeting where we're really struggling with this algorithm. This, this was a financial services application and the algorithms around it were really difficult, both to, you know, it was about uh, managing 401k plans and so, omnibusing trades uh, of mutual funds and then redistributing money back into people's accounts to six decimal places and also regulatory requirements. There was just so much that was super complicated. And there was an algorithm we just could not figure out how to implement in the code. And one of the testers piped up, got up, started drawing on the whiteboard and said, what if we did this? And the developers listened and said, that is the right that is the right way to do it. We're, that's what we're going to do. Because mm -hmm. they couldn't come up with that themselves. Where on a lot of teams I've been on, 
well, not a lot I've been on, but some teams I've been on and a lot of other teams I've, I've learned about, the testers wouldn't even be in the room right. because this is a design meeting, you know. Sometimes that can be very patronizing of, well, you're not quite technical enough to be in this meeting. So I really appreciated that ability for anybody to raise ideas or issues. People could point out problems without fear of, you know, you call my baby ugly, so now I'm mad at you. <laughs> but, but it was all done in, a, in an atmosphere of respect. And this extended to the business. We, it was a small company, but we really were part of the business. They included us in discussions about, well, what features should we do next? What do you think? We were not just over in a corner with requirements being thrown at us. Mm-hmm. So it's a great feeling to be part of something that you really believe in. You want to make the company successful. You want to really help the customers. I mean, we weren't curing cancer or anything, but uh, you know, helping people save money is good. And um, just knowing that everybody in the company was dedicated to solving the customer problems and giving them a great experience. Uh, you, you've shared a couple of the examples of, mm-hmm. of behaviors that you engage in together. Like, you know, somebody shares an idea, they get, they get yes anded instead of, you know, told to shut up. Or I, I, even just going from everybody was invited, right? Right. Uh, what were some other concrete behaviors that you engaged in together as a team? I think, you know, the fact that we were, it took us a couple of years to get there, but the fact that we always had a deliverable release candidate ready to go. Uh-huh. Always. Um, always. Every yeah. day. I mean, our build might fail sometimes, but every day it was going to be green at least once. We did not release every day because that would have been too disruptive for our customers. We could have done it. We we were using feature flags and things like that, but it wasn't necessary. So we released, we released every two weeks or deployed every two weeks. But the fact that we could continually deliver business value that way, we were super good at slicing themes and epics down in, not only down into stories, but into, you know, thin slices and end-to-end techniques like Jeff Patton's story mapping impact mapping from Goiko Agic. We used we used techniques like that. Just drawn on the whiteboard. We called it steel threads. We had this technique we called steel threads and other people have said that wasn't steel threads. That was thin slices <laughs> or something. I was like, whatever. But it's like, okay, we need to do a, a new feature to upload information into the database from CSV files. And there's a five-step UI process that's needed to do this. And, you know, at first we did what lots of other teams do is, okay, well, here, let's work on the first screen. Okay, that's done. Now let's work on the second page of this UI. We realized that was silly because we get to the end of the sprint and we'd have, you know, four out of the five pages done and we could release nothing. Uh, So then we slice, let's slice it down. Okay, we're just going to do the navigation between these five pages. And that's something we can show uh, our customers, our internal customers, and say, hey, does this look like the right flow to you? Do you need to go from page five back to page two? How does this look? And then automate the test for that, and then gradually build onto that steel thread of, okay, now let's add the ability to choose the file and upload it. Now let's add some validation. Now let's persist it to the database. Now let's display to the user. You know, so we just built onto that, and it was so magical for us when we when we mastered that ability because yeah maybe we weren't we didn't have all the final touches on it at the end of a sprint but it was it was good enough to start with people could use it um so that was you know those kind of things people teams really struggle slicing things down and i've heard so many times well no we can't slice it down any smaller 
we can't make this story any smaller. I mean, in my in my experience, a story should be something you can finish in a day or two, including all the testing and all the test automation. And most teams really struggle to do that. I'm trying to think of any other. Well, just the fact that, well, the other thing was mastering the core practices of basically we decided we were a self-organizing scrum team and we decided to adopt the extreme programming practices because they had been shown, and then we're, this was back in 2003, 2004, they had already been shown to be effective. We wanted really high quality. We committed to that. And those were ways to deliver quality. But it's like, ah, tester and development. Oh, that turns out to be really hard to learn, which I knew because I'd worked on other teams who'd, who'd had to learn it. And that takes a lot of time. Well, fortunately, we had enlightened business executives who hired us to develop software and left us to it, <laughs> supported us. Like, you do what you need to do. Oh, you can't deliver a big ton of stuff right away because you have to stop and learn these techniques. That's okay, because we want to do it right. So let's yeah. slow down to go fast and uh, go fast later. Focus on quality, not on speed. Um, and so we mastered these core practices. We mastered continuous integration right away. Uh, it took a long time to master test-driven development, but we, we did it. Refactoring. Test automation. I'm trying to think of all the all the practices off the top of my head, but um, <laughs> you know, we 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 had the chance to do to do that and make that investment, and then the the, the fact that it was a whole team approach to quality, you know, mm -hmm. in real life. And and one of my favorite stories is this was after several years. We had been we had a really thin client. It was a a Java application and. Uh, all the, all the business logic was on the back end, on the server side. But you know, as people got more sophisticated after 2010, users wanted a nicer user experience. They wanted a faster response time. It's like, oh, we should probably start putting some of the validation into the UI level itself, put some of the business rules there. Well, the test tool that we were using for our UI level test automation didn't support that. It had done a really good job for us over like eight years. You know, we had a, a minimal set of smoke tests, but they were quite effective. But we realized we needed something new. And so we're sitting around, all the developers and the testers are sitting around thinking about, okay, well, we have all these different open source tools, vendor tools, what do we want to use? And, and we had neglected to invite the system administrator to our uh, meeting. He was also a developer and very interested in testing, but he was just on the other side of the cube wall. So he pops up over the cube wall and he said, you know what? I think our, I think that WebDriver, Selene WebDriver will solve our problem. <laughs> and I will do, I'm, I volunteer to do a proof of concept and see if that's the Beautiful. case. Anyway, oh, thank you. We're so sorry we didn't invite you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was attending the whole time, just on the other side of the software. Yeah, he was listening. <laughs> uh, and, you know, everybody was willing to jump in on, on whatever was needed. And conversely, I was willing to jump in and, and configure Hudson or Jenkins or whatever, work on the, work on the pipeline. Or yeah. I, was, I was happy to jump in and help the DBA with something. So, you know, that whole team approach is just, it, it really works. Yeah. I want, I want to go back to one of the jargon words he used uh, make sure I understand it the right way and, and listeners understand it. You said steel threads and I, mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely thrown this, this phrase around and I've worked with people who use it. Will you describe what that means? Well, the, the way we saw it is we're going to do something end to end, but very thin slice of it. And so that's like, you know, my dad was in the steel business and that's like one little cable one little end-to-end -end wire. Now we're gonna add something to it, so we're gonna wrap another wire around it. 
And now oh, we're going to add something to it. We're going to wrap another wire. So we saw it as building, kind of building a cable. Apparently, people use that to mean something else, and I'm not sure what it is, honestly. <laughs> but people, people might call it tracer bullets. I think some people call it tracer bullets. Like I, I know that phrase. Yeah, this is this is what you meant. Um, and I love this idea of a, a steel thread versus a tracer bullet because you're gonna, like you said, you're gonna coil another thread around and, mm -hmm. and keep adding on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Make it stronger, more useful. Yeah. Cool. Uh, how about some advice for listeners? If somebody asked you for advice on how to reproduce an awesomely successful team like this one, what would you tell them? Well, unfortunately, there's no shortcut. You have to make a big investment. First of all, I, my, I always tell people, and this is what my teams have always done too, is start by everybody get together and what level of quality do you want? Well, everybody says, you know, it's like mom and apple pie. Everybody says, oh, it's the very best quality. And I'll ask executives this too. And oh, it's the very best quality. But that doesn't, they don't know, understand what that means. And, you know, things are going to get in your way. And you need a really strong commitment so that you have the discipline to keep working at it and, and work on that obstacle, find some way around it, some, some way to make it smaller. Do the experiments to see how you can overcome them. And it has to mean something. The commitment has to mean something. And so mm -hmm. when your team has that, then you're going to figure out the problems. But you also need the support of management. So if management is just, you know, snapping the whip and saying, okay, we need this future by this deadline, get her done. And don't waste any time on those tests. <laughs> you can do those later. Right. First of all, they're telling us how to develop software, which is not okay because that's our job. They can tell us their business priorities and we can tell them what we can do about it. One of the things that my team at ePlan did so well was we invested a lot of time in learning the business domain, which was extremely difficult. We actually budgeted story points during sprints to sit down, work alongside the accountant, the customer support rep, the salesperson. And so we could really understand what they needed because guess what? Our product owner, who was the company lawyer, did not understand finance or accounting or, you know, and once we knew the domain, they'd ask us for something and we'd say, why do you want this? What business problem are you solving? What's the purpose? And then, and they'd explain it. And I'd say, okay, here's what we could do. It's about 80% of what you say you want, but it'll cost half of doing the whole thing. <laughs> oh, and then we looked brilliant and fast. We weren't doing anything faster. We were cutting down what needed to be done. And you need the domain knowledge and expertise to be able to do that. I'll never forget one of our one time our product owner came to a meeting and said, "Do you remember those that feature you did a while back to provide discounts to new customers?" We're like, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, what we need is a negative discount. We need the ability to have negative discounts." We're like, <laughs> "What? So can you explain what you want?" And I said, "Well, we want to add some services that cost more, so we want to charge a surcharge." for these things. So if you have a negative discount, that'll be a surcharge. And we're like, no, no, we're not doing <laughs> negative discounts, but we, we can do surcharges for you. So, you know, that's a pre, the, you know, the business people, especially product owners that get used to how you work, they come to you with the implementation because they think they know and they want to get it done fast. So they think if they've already solved the problem for you, it'll go fast. So I think I got really, you know, I digressed a lot there, but it's the investment, investing time to learn the domain, investing time to learn how to do test-driven development, investing time to learn how to automate 
test at the API level or the UI level or do behavior-driven development or all these good practices that we know, you know, we have things like the state of DevOps survey and other scientific studies that show these things really do work. Why, why doesn't everybody adopt them? I don't know, because change is hard and because business executives don't understand the need for the investment and how it will pay off. And people are really focused on short-term results. And, you know, over the, I was with that team for almost nine years and it was so exciting, first of all, to see how, what we could accomplish, but second of all, to see, we always ran into new problems. <laughs> we never ran out of problems to solve. Uh, so you have to, to build up those muscles and be able to keep addressing those problems. And if you're really focused on quality and everybody is really thinking how to build that quality in, that's, that's the secret sauce, but it's not magic. It's just a lot of discipline and hard work. I love this. I, I, I hear this from a lot of other guests as well. The, the XP practices, mm -hmm. you know, a, lot of, a lot of my guests are, are people from the software development field. So the XP practices for a lot of people. Yeah. And then investing time into mm -hmm. learning the domain, learning the techniques and the tools and focusing on quality. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I know, I know you're busy with Mabel, your new company, you're writing books. Is there anything else you'd like to add that, that you want to make sure listeners hear about? Well, just one thing I wanted to add, you know, we talk about work and, uh, you know, make it sound like work, <laughs> but we need to enjoy our work too. I, I, back when we, we had those four XP values as well, which the values and principles were more important than the practices even. Mm -hmm. But people used to say, well, the fifth, the fifth value is enjoyment or joy. And, mm. you know, we do need to enjoy our work. You know, that's what I, that's why I do this. I enjoy making a contribution. I enjoy helping up, uh, helping the customers have a better day. And also as part of that, I, I went to a workshop at Contest New York, city that's a really great testing conference and um and one of the workshops i went to was not by software people it was by this training company that i can't even remember what the workshop was about but one of the things that they said is that most people don't like their job and the number one reason is they don't feel appreciated uh -huh. and so you know let's start appreciating each other tell somebody hey that thing you did there was awesome or you helped me when you did this, you know, specific appreciations. I, I think that's, you know, people might think I'm just too Pollyannish, but I think it's important. <laughs> I want to feel yeah. appreciated. Every, at first I thought, well, that's, you know, I'm kind of hard on myself because I'm, I'm definitely an approval junkie. You know, I really want other people to acknowledge that I did something good and that doesn't seem healthy, but you know what? Appreciation. Why is that bad? So I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I, I've just realized in the last couple of days that my focus in life right now is joy. How awesome. do I maximize that in my life, my work, my relationships with everybody? And uh, I, I love this idea of specific appreciation. Mm -hmm. and, and what, what a beautiful web that would connect between people. Right. Yeah. All right. And if listeners would like to get in touch with you, is there a way they can do that? Absolutely. It's probably easiest to get my attention on Twitter. I'm at Lisa Crispin on Twitter. Uh, I'm also at Testing in DevOps on Twitter because <laughs> that's our Testing in DevOps uh, account. Sure. But I'm Lisa Crispin on all the, you know, LinkedIn and uh, LisaCrispin.com is my website. So it's pretty easy to find. And uh, Lisa, you know, Lisa at LisaCrispin.com email. The problem is that 
my inbox is a horrible, horrifying place, and I miss a lot of emails. So if you if, if I don't respond to your email, tweet at me. <laughs> I'm on a number of Slack channels as well. It's getting harder and harder to keep up with all those, but I really. I really value the social media. I have met so many wonderful people and learned so much thanks to Twitter and other social media outlets like Slack, Slack workspaces. And, you know, I know they can be a big time suck and stuff, but they also can pay off as people can help you solve your problems, even even total strangers. So <laughs> it's awesome. All right. Lisa Crispin at all these different places and Lisa Crispin in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. I loved this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, friends. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.